podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. It slightly favours the right footer here, but Griffiths, having got the goal, goes again. This is it then, two days from now until Scotland play Israel in the playoff for what is now Euro 2021, Hamden Roar podcast as usual with myself Andy Barge and Gordon Shiak and welcome back Ben Ramage after some sort of sabbatical there over the past few months. Uh, thanks for having me back. I was on holiday, but I was thinking about you the whole time, I promise. <laughs> don't tell that to Jen. <laughs> you've, 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 you've earned a recall to the squad, Ben, don't worry. Get oh, back in. Delighted. <laughs> okay, right. We, I think it's fair to say that the nerves are starting to build up now. Butterflies clamouring in the stomach. It's, it's, it's weird that now after such a long delay, we are on the brink of the biggest the biggest Scotland game in 17 years since the Holland playoff or the Italy game in the Euro 2008 playoff, depending on, on what way you look at it. Boys, how are you, how you feeling? Let's go to Gordon first. Uh, I'm, yeah, nervous. Really, really nervous. Uh, it's, it's kicked in already. Um, I, I think, bizarrely for me, I felt this qualifying campaign's been a bit... I've not quite felt it as much as I usually do. And part of me thinks that because we've always had that playoff in the back pocket when we've played games at home against Russia and Belgium, you've maybe just not felt like we had to do it because you know you've got that in the back pocket. But well, here we are, we're here now. It's, it's, it's showtime. <laughs> Benjamin? Yeah, I think the trouble is we've been at this show before, haven't we? We've had games where you know if we'd got a win in the last game of the group or in the playoffs that we'd have made it. We've not managed it. I do think this is the, the easiest... I say easy, but the easiest route that we've got, given that we don't have a Holland or an England in front of us in the playoff. This is Israel and obviously Norway or Serbia. So I do think this is a really good opportunity. But the, the way we've watched this pan out before, there's, it's hard to still be really confident going into these two. I think the the last game we had against Israel was perhaps a bit of an eye-opener. I know they beat us uh, 2-1 on their patch not so long ago. And... James Forrest's hat-trick sunk them at Hamden shortly after that. But on, well, it would at the start of September, when we drew 1-1 with them, they looked like a really sharp, slick outfit. I wouldn't even go as far as saying like an awkward, tricky opponent. They, they just looked like a good football team. Would you agree? Yeah, I'd agree with that. And I think their, their front line is what scares me the most. You know, they've got some really good... You know, quality forwards and if you look at us I would say our defence is still arguably our weakest point and I feel like the matchup isn't great there as if they can keep it tight at the back then they can quite comfortably hit us on the break um, I think you saw it was Zahavi's goal you know it was it was pure quality and my, my hope with that with that game was that because we've been off for so long both teams were really quite um, unlike they weren't match fit but the, like you say, they look they look perfectly fine. So with another month under their belt, it, it's it's not going to be as easy, I think, as people are making out that it should be. 
Gordon, you are slightly more optimistic. Um, I'm uh, optimistic, delusional, take your pick. Um, <laughs> I think I would very much like to forget that game at Hamden happened last month. Um, I would like to pretend it just didn't exist, partially because our squad is in a completely different place. I mean, you look at the team we picked last time in September, and it was only the SPFL-based players who had actually kicked a ball competitively um, going into those games. The English boys were in break, barely gotten back to pre-season training. There was no match fitness, there was no match sharpness, and it really showed on the pitch. Um, I think I'd agree with Ben. I, I think Israel were tricky. They were very tricky customers. I think something that really worried me in the game last month was the amount of times that we were caught by just long balls into the channels, caught behind our wing backs, particularly on the right-hand side. I thought James Forrest got caught high sometimes. The ball's in behind him. Scott McTominay was taking up incredibly high positions as a centre-back. I don't know if he was just going back into central midfield, but he seemed to be getting caught high as well. We got caught in behind often, and that's something Steve Clark needs to watch out for on Thursday. Let's start off with the defence then from our point of view. We do have, you know, a bit of a, a quagmire that we're in with the three at the back situation. It brings Tierney and Robertson into the side in two positions that are not too dissimilar to their, well, that aren't a million miles away from their best position of just an out-and-out left-back. But with the three at the back, neither of them are playing their, their best position, but they're both in the team. Is that the best way forward with three at the back or do you both think we should be playing a four and either picking one of them at left back or fitting Tierney in somewhere else across the back four? Let's go to Ben. For me, looking at those last two games, I don't think you can make a comprehensive argument that that worked, that that system actually worked. And I don't think you actually get the best out of either of them. You know, I think Robbo has come out in the past and said that he prefers playing left back. He prefers having a winger in front of him. And Tierney, again, is a left-back. That is his position. So you're shoehorning those two in, which I know a lot. there's been a lot of clamour for that to happen. But I don't really think that on the basis of those two games that it really worked. So my concern is, if it hasn't worked those two games, why is that going to change for this game, which is such an important game, when would we not be more solid with four at the back and with one midfielder sitting in front screening? That would be the system that I would play. But it's up to... I mean, you guys can discuss as well, but for me, I would definitely be going back to a four. Well, Ben, your cards are on the table. Gordon, you're still on the fence about this. Uh, I am. I, I, my perspective, I, Steve Clark has forgotten more about setting up a football team than I will ever learn. And I think there would certainly be a sense of logic if he spent the last week in September drilling this new system with three the back into the team to then suddenly ditch that throughout the window that might seem illogical. I think when it comes to international football, I'm a huge fan of play players in as in the systems and positions that they play in club level because you just don't have long enough to spend with them to drill in new, unique things. I think... Um, sorry, that was just my, <laughs> my cat just jumped across my laptop there and <laughs> moving my notes. Um, so for me, Kieran Tierney, he plays left side centre-back in a three for Arsenal. That seems to be, be his, his, his position every weekend now. And Gordon, does that, does that then though prioritise Tierney over Robertson if you're playing Tierney in his preferred position and shoving Robertson further up and left? Well, not necessarily for me because I think you're going to get the best out of Andy Robertson depending on who you're pairing him with higher up the pitch. I thought when it came to the Czech Republic game uh, away from home last time out, 
Robertson was able to link up quite well with Stuart Armstrong. I think that's something I'd like to build on. I'd like to see more of. So for me, that, that that's how you're going to get the best out of Andy Robertson. Okay, well, if we do play three at the back, I think we can safely assume Tierney will be playing there because that's pretty much the only reason I can find for the three at the back being, being utilised. So we'll put Tierney in there. Cooper is fit, fighting and raring to go. I think we can safely assume that Cooper will play. Now, the last position is a bit of an empty jersey at the moment because McKenna is not going to play. He's injured, um, as far as we're aware. So that leaves either Gallagher or McTominay, really, to to come back in. What would you expect to happen there? McTominay at centre-half again? Ben? I really wasn't impressed with McTominay at centre-back. And it's... It's hard to say that because I really rate McTominay. I think he's a terrific midfielder. I just want to see him play in midfield like he does for Man United. I don't. I understand that he's a good footballer and that he could play there. But if you've got, for me, if it was you're going to play three at the back, then I would have to go with Gallagher because he is a centre back. He's been a centre back his whole life. He's not going to get caught underneath high balls. He's not going to push too far up. You know, he might not be international class, but he knows that position inside out. It's been drilled into him over years if you put McTominay in there he might just make the one mistake that for this time Marshall can't dig us out of a hole and it might cost us massively so for me it's too risky to put McTominay back in that defense when you say mistake not necessarily a mistake on the ball but perhaps uh, a lapse in concentration positionally or such because he's not where where he's used to playing exactly yeah okay Uh, Gordon how do you feel about McTominay at centre half I, I'd agree. I'd echo a lot of what Ben said there. Um, I think you could tell he wasn't entirely comfortable in the last two games. He was caught out of position. He was caught under high balls a couple of times. And I think if we've just had the conversation about Robertson and Tierney about fitting them as much as you can into the shape and style and position that they play with their club teams, you can't then turn around and say, well, McTominay, we'll ha- we're happy with you playing centre-back. It, it doesn't follow. If we do end up going for four at the back, would you be comfortable, Gordon, with Tierney being one of a pairing at the back? Now, you see, for me, I don't see why not. I know there's a lot of well-versed football people who seem to think that Tierney doesn't have the physicality or doesn't have the height to play centre-back. I guess it would depend who he's playing alongside. Again, if it was Tierney and Cooper, you've got two two left-footed centre-backs. Again, is that necessarily a problem? Possibly. Um, I think it could happen, but then you've also got people suggesting that um, Kieran Tierney played right back under Strachan, so maybe he could play there. What do you think, Ben, about Kieran Tierney at right back then? Well, to me, Tierney can play at centre back. Did he not play against Holland at centre back for us as well? Captain um, does that, night, yeah. Yeah, you know, and he was he was perfectly fine, you know. So I think Tierney's a good enough player that he understands where he would need to be enough to play that role. I know it's not exactly where he normally plays, but if he's playing as a left-sided centre-back at Arsenal, to play at centre-back for us, I don't think it's a, a massive uh, difference. For me, as long as he had some a midfielder in front, you know, arguably screening to make sure that there's no gaps. But for me, I would just have Tierney at centre-back. But is, is there any, any way you would get on board with Tierney playing on the right side of a defence, though? Well, again, did, did he not make his debut at right back uh, against Slovenia, was it? Or Slovakia? I, I can't remember what Tierney's debut was, but under our 
uh, under Strachan when we had our unbeaten run in 2017, Tierney played it right back against mm-hmm. Slovenia and Slovakia that night. What what I think went against Tierney was that in the Slovakia game, he was very hesitant to venture much further forward than the halfway line. Yeah. And it was only when Anya came on to replace Tierney that we started getting joy down the right. So I think yeah. Tierney is a very, very solid defender. And if we're trying to focus on that, then okay, play him right back, no problem. But if you're wanting an attacking threat down the right, not sure Tierney is your man because unfortunately, just like Robertson as well, he's very hesitant uh, to use his right foot in certain situations. And if, if he was still on the park, we would never have scored that goal against Slovakia, the, the Skrtel mm-hmm. OG, because yeah, yeah. Anya was brave enough and comfortable enough to get forward into that situation, where, whereas Tierney probably wouldn't on his right side. No, that's that, that's that's absolutely right, Andy, uh, because I, I, I remember being at that game that night, and every time Tierney would take the ball, you could see him always just naturally wanting to cut inside onto his left foot, and it just, it just made the shape of the team very lopsided and quite one-dimensional for defending against so do, are we in agreement Agreement then uh, that if Tierney plays uh, as part of a back four, we're okay with it being a centre half, but we do expect Scotland to line up with a three on, against Israel? Yeah, I'd agree with that. Um, and and I'm, I'm crossing everything that Liam Palmer is fit, because I, I thought Liam Palmer, Palmer was very good in the Czech Republic. So he set up Lyndon Dykes' goal, but he came off at half-time on Saturday supposedly injured so I it, have doesn't, my worries. it doesn't sound too great I think O'Donnell may be in line for a recall I know he featured uh, the last time I remember O'Donnell starting for us I could be wrong was the Russia game at home am I wrong in saying that or am I right in saying that the Russia game at home and uh, maybe even Belgium actually uh, the double header um, and I remember he was very easily caught out um, for their winner um, Russia's winner that night a ball came across from the right side to uh, O'Donnell's side uh, on Russia's left and their attacker had advanced about three yards ahead of him and he'd been caught sleeping. That's my last memory of O'Donnell in a Scotland shirt. Um, the Yeah, I, I agree with you that Palmer is pretty much first choice right back and if he is injured then it's a bit of, uh, bit of responsibility for O'Donnell. He's got a point to prove given that he, he lost his shirt, Ben. Yeah, I've watched O'Donnell a lot at Motherwell. Um, I, 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 think he is, I think he's a good... He's a dependable right-back, I would say. Like, you talk about Anya, he will never be that kind of right-back that will fly down the wing, you know, and, and whip crosses across. He's, he, he is more of a defensive-minded right-back. But for a game of this magnitude, that might not be the end of the world. We'll maybe leave the attack in to the midfield and the striker for this one because we, we need to be solid at the back. Israel are no mugs at the back, so... At the front, sorry. So we really need to keep the shape, and O'Donnell gives you that. You know, he's a six or a seven most games, and we could do with that against Israel. Gordon. Yeah, I think I think we saw in the last uh, set of two matches that having a right back who actually plays right back for his club uh, was a benefit. When you saw Liam Palmer replace James Forrest, so yeah, I think if, it, if it's Stephen O'Donnell, then then that's that's what we go with. How do you feel about McKenna not being involved, Gordon? Um, I think we have. I, I think we've got quite a few different options at centre back. So McKenna's obviously been a, a, a preference for for Steve Clark. You know, he's got 16 caps now. He's got his move down to Nottingham Forest. He's still 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 playing in red. Um, but yeah, we've 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 got other centre backs, and, and Liam Cooper's obviously had a decent start in the Premier League with with Leeds. Okay, let's move on to to midfield then. This is 
the area where we're allegedly most stacked uh, and possess most quality. I think if you are to tell somebody that and then show them reruns of the last two games, they would be questioning your sanity. But <laughs> I think that on paper, anyway, that is where we are strongest. So how do we line up with our midfield? If Scotland do go three at the back, that would suggest there's going to be probably two more defensive-minded midfielders and then an attacking one to support whoever plays centre-forward. Cal McGregor has been heavily preferred by Steve Clark. Ryan Jack, I think, is involved in the squad again. And you've got Kenny McLean, who's put up for a press conference yesterday. yesterday. Does that mean that he's likely to be involved? You've also got John Fleck and John McGinn, Stuart Armstrong. I'm just flinging names at you, lads. What ones are going to stick for you? Gordon. So I put together in my preview piece for the um I've tried to read the tea leaves, as you have just done there, um, and predict what um, Steve Clark's starting 11 would be. And the way I've shaped my midfield in using Steve Clark's um, mind, if I can, is, as we've said, with Robertson and Palmer or, or O'Donnell as wingbacks, I've put McGregor and McGinn in the middle and then Armstrong and Christie ahead supporting a striker. That's uh, For me, I think Armstrong, Christie and McGinn, given the form they're in for their clubs, they have to start, have to find a way to put them in. OK, so McGinn, the more advanced of the centre mids in front of McGregor and who else did you say? I put McGinn, Armstrong and Christie and McGregor as sort of like a midfield four. Right. Oh, yes, OK, I see. I see now. OK, Ben, how do you feel about the centre-mids situation? Would you happily play McGregor and Ryan Jack and then allow one simply to roam forward? Well, I, to be honest, I, well, when I did mine, I obviously had a three. Um, I would have McTominay in midfield, you know, in his natural position. I would actually go with McGregor. I've not always been that impressed with McGregor in a Scotland shirt, but he has been terrific for Celtic so far this season, um, and he's added some goals uh, so I, you know, I think I'm absolutely fine with him playing. And then McGinn, McGinn picks himself. You know, you you can't not play McGinn in this game. Um, and likewise with Christie, I think Christie's done so much for us lately, and he's carried his form on for Celtic that he needs to be involved as well. Um, so would would you be playing Christie in a if we're going in in a, in a sense that Steve Clark's probably going to play a three-five-two? Would you play? Kind of what, well, Gordon? Your, yours was a three-four-three three more. Three, so four, if, you're, yeah, if, three, you're, four, if you're if you're if you're picturing a three-five-two, Ben, or a three-four-three, three, where where do you where do you place these midfielders in your team? Because obviously, Christie and Armstrong are both centre mids, but in Gordon's lineup, he has them playing kind of just off and quite narrowly off uh, whoever the striker is going to be. Yeah, see, I would struggle. You probably have to drop one. Um, that's the issue with that system. Whereas for me, I would play 4-3-3, and obviously with the two wingers, I would have Christie and Fraser at either side of Dykes. But if you're going to play with um, Clark's formation, then I would probably go McGregor and McGinn, um, and then maybe play Christie more off Dykes. But um, I just think that is really narrow, and I just don't feel like it plays to our strengths um, of what we have in this squad. Are you comfortable... Uh, Gordon, I thought, well, clearly, Gordon, you are. Why are you comfortable with Armstrong playing in a more advanced left-sided position rather than through the middle? Is that because for Southampton he's been playing slightly off-centre? Yeah, I mean, if you look at the positions that Stuart Armstrong's been taking up for Southampton, he, well, he's actually more been playing on the right wing uh, for Southampton, but I just feel like 
Armstrong has the the tactical and game intelligence and the technique and the skills, I think, to link up really effectively with Andy Robertson. You know, he can take balls, he can take square balls from Andy Robertson, he can jink past a man, he can open space, and he can play a return ball into the channel for Robertson to chase. I think I think they would I think they, I can see them working well together. As they did in the Czech public. And Ben? Yeah, no, I really rate Armstrong. I'd be absolutely happy with Armstrong starting. I think he's one of our most clever, most intelligent players on the ball. Um, I think he would be absolutely fine um, playing off the wing or through the middle. I think it's for Southampton again at the weekend. I'm sure. I, th- I think just 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 to cut in there just for a second, I think something that this squad is perhaps lacking a little bit is natural wide players, especially with Forrest being injured and then Ryan Fraser still building up his match sharpness at Newcastle. We don't actually have that many out and out wingers to play in a sort of more traditional, say, four two three one as we have done in the past. Anyone expecting Ryan Fraser to start, Ben? Well, I, I would have picked him. I would pick him to start if he was fit because I think he gives he gives something that we don't have a massive amount of, which is just pace, and pace can just get you so far up front. Um, we don't really have anyone that can just really stretch because if we have Fraser, say, on the left wing, he can stretch the defence, and that lets Dykes bring in players like McGinn and Christie. I just feel like we could be caught a bit narrow if we play too many midfielders. Um, I quite like Fraser's sort of directness, um, and I think he has always done pretty well in a Scotland shirt as well, which I think has to be taken into account. There's a point here made to us on Twitter um, by Shadows of Weevil. Uh, interesting <laughs> name as picture as Ruth Rovers. Um, so Ruth Rovers fan Shadows of Weevil, I think. Uh, he's asking if Scotland should now, maybe not for the Israel game, but for the rest of the Nations League, I suppose, um, be blooding in players like David Turnbull and Aaron Hickey and, and Billy Gilmore when he's fit and instead of calling up players like McLean or Callum Patterson or uh, John Fleck who although are good players probably aren't starters in the Scotland team what do you think about that Gordon? I don't see why not I, th- I think there's there's always space to, to be bringing in new players I think given that we opened the Nations League campaign with a win and a draw, it would be quite unlikely from this position that we get relegated from, from League B. So I feel quite confident that we could use the rest of our games to try some new people. Although you have to bear in mind that there's not actually that long a turnaround between this group and the World Cup qualifiers, which kick off in March. So we do need to be ready from day one because how many campaigns have we seen in the past where you know Lithuania away, Macedonia away, where Kazakhstan away, where we throw the first game and we're chasing our tails from day one. So we need to be ready. Ben, is now the time to start thinking about people like Turnbull and Hickey or are you quite content with having more established second choice names? I think you need, especially with obviously three games across this one, I think you need experience in there because these are still massive games. You know, this, this Israel playoff game, as we've said, is probably the biggest in 17 years. And then also, if we can win this Nations League, then we will then get the playoff for the, the following World Cup. Does that still count? Is it's the same thing? So I just feel like you can't start blooding youngsters in games that are that important. Yeah. Um, Clark's still building up his squad. So as, as good prospects as players like Turnbull and Gilmore are, I don't feel like now is the time to be throwing them into the national team. You know, they're with the under-21s. Let them progress through that, and when they are, you know, really first team, you know, first names on team sheets for their club, or well, then they'll be in um, for the country. 
So just 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 on that on that topic of the playoff from this next stage of Nations League, they have actually uh, reshaped the rules a little bit because with this group that we had, where we won our group, that got us our playoff, but we ended up against Israel in the playoff, who we bested in our League C group. That was because you remember the the position sort of waterfalled up the way as teams qualified. Yeah. For this for this set of Nations League, it's only group winners who can get playoffs. So unless we win this group in League B, we're not getting a playoff out of the Nations League. So that makes the, the rest of the games even more important. You know, there is a chance that we can win this group. So well, we're talking about it right now. Exactly. So and that's having hardly really played that well. So <laughs> I think we need to keep our strongest eleven. And when players get injured, we need strong, you know, experienced guys to come in and fill those spots. Okay. Um... A couple of people did get in touch on Twitter, John Bleasdale and Sam Taylor, especially discussing the number nine situation. Is it Dykes jersey now, or does McBurney come back into the, the starting lineup? Ben? Yeah, I would say that Dykes, it's Dykes' shirt to lose now, I would say. You know, we've been crying out for a really strong um, centre forward that can hold the ball up. Um, the way we play, we generally always play with one up front, so you need someone that's going to make the ball stick and bring other players in. And I just feel like Dykes has that. He has the confidence to go at centre-backs and him bringing players like McGinn and Christie running, you know, bringing them in as goal threats. I think he, he ticks so many boxes. Um, he's full of confidence after his move to QPR. I, I, I would say he's a stick-on um, for the Israel game. Gordon, the, the thing about Glendon Dykes that I'll put to you is that, yes, he's a... A handful, a strong guy and a good hold-up player, but he's not really a goal scorer. Is that something you would go along with or are you going to fight his corner here? Well, he, he, he scored in his last game for Scotland, obviously. Opened his account um, against the Czech Republic, uh, which I remember listening to Darren Fletcher on the Sky's coverage, really praising just the aggression to make that run to the front post. As soon as he saw Liam Palmer get the ball in the channel, he was making that run ahead of his marker that there was no one else going to reach that cross apart from him. I mean, in the past, I've said that Stephen Fletcher has been one of the best strikers Scotland has had. He didn't score that many goals, but the amount of times he brought other players into play, he was able to let our more creative attacking midfielders run past him and into channels. I, I, I see a lot of that in Lyndon Dykes. And I think if you look in the recent seasons, the scoring records of Ryan Christie, of John McGinn, we can spread the goals, and I'm absolutely fine with that. How do you feel about McBurney in general this time? It looks like no minor injury will force his uh, place in the squad to go under threat. So do you think that he will have a part to play against Israel? I'm not sure. I think, if to be honest, I would really like to see McBurney play as part of a two. I think when I've seen him play, I feel like his link-up plays actually a lot better than people give him credit for. Um, and I feel like he would probably really benefit from having someone next to him. I don't think his frame and his, you know, his style of play really suits being one up front on his own. But if we were, say we were needing a goal, um, which we obviously may well need by the time we get to the second half, he might not be a bad option to bring on and play alongside Dykes. It might free Dykes up a little bit. And his sort of creativity will maybe bring in some of the other players. So I could see him still having a part to play. Gordon? Yeah, I, I, 
I think for me, I, I would I would suspect McBurney will start at least one of the other games uh, later on the weekend, Slovakia and the Czech Republic. Probably not the Israel game. Um, I think I think if you're looking for a game changer to come off the bench, though, I think you can look no further than Big Calum Patterson. I mean, absolute chaos factor, big strong lad, fantastic in the air. Throw him on. <laughs> okay. What about the goal scoring return of Lee Griffiths? Does that force Steve Clark to raise an eyebrow? Should we beat Israel to think about him for the big final? Ben? I think it will, it will totally depend on what he does in the next month. You know, we've we've seen Griffiths come back a few times. You know, his goal scoring has never been in doubt. He is probably naturally our best finisher, but it's getting him getting his mindset right. So if anything, the return is actually quite timely because he's actually got a month now to prove that this isn't a flash in the pan. You know, he can, if he plays the next four or five games for Celtic and scores a couple more, then happy days. He'll absolutely be back in for the final if we make it. But at the moment, I just don't, I don't, I think it's way too soon having only played one game in the last few months to, to throw him back in just now. Gordon, are you of similar mind? Uh, I am, I am. But I think looking ahead to the, what will, fingers crossed, be a playoff final in November, You've got to monitor his minutes, see how he's doing. Um, is he a better striker than what we've got? You're looking at the forwards in the squad right now, Patterson, Shanklin, Dykes, Burke, McBurney. And you're right, Griffiths is probably a more natural finisher than all of those guys. So, And, and if we can call up a bigger squad, which we obviously have done this time, there's 26 guys in the squad, I'm more than happy to have him in. We, we spoke on uh, yesterday, actually, about moments like this in recent history where we've been on the, the brink of of making a major tournament. We we can go back to the playoff against Holland, the the Italy game. We've had a couple more in recent history. Slovenia away from home and Poland at home. What of uh, what particular moments of those and, and any others stick out for you? Would it be the, the Italy game at Hamden Gordon that is is the is the poignant moment in in your head? Yeah, the, the Italy game will always carry a real <laughs> emotional weight in my heart because that was that 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 was the first campaign I started going to Scotland games regularly. And um, the Georgia game and McLeish's first game in charge was my first ever home game at Hamden. So there was just something about that team. There was something that when they took to the pitch, you just felt confidence that we were going to win, regardless of who you were playing. You're playing World Cup quarterfinalists Ukraine. Well, we're going to win. You're playing Lithuania. Of course, we're going to win. You know. Then we go to Georgia, it all falls to bits. But even then, turning up to Hamden on that night, the, the rain was sort of misting down. It was the floodlights were illuminating everything. It, it was just it was a phenomenal electric experience. And then what was it, sixty-four seconds later, we're one nil down. <laughs> <laughs> oh goodness. Ben, oh, on the the campaign for uh, the World Cup twenty eighteen saw us very nearly reach the, the playoffs again. That that run in 2017 where Scotland just seemed to score late goals that would get us places. We, I'm pretty sure, apart from the Malta game, the, the games that we had against Slovenia, Slovakia and England at Hamden in that group, we didn't score before the 87th minute, uh, which is which is quite incredible. Um, and we scored four goals in those, in those games. Chris Martin had a huge impact in that group. Um, see he's getting a, a game now at Bristol City, which is potentially somewhere Steve Clark might want to, to cast his net. Um, so if, if we look back to the Slovenia game, Ben, the final one of that group, 
we'd just beaten Slovakia, which was electric. Hamden was buzzing. That was an incredible evening. Late winner, Skrtel's OG. Uh, we go 1-0 up in Slovenia. Griffiths with a tremendous finish. I made the point back then and stand by it that I don't think anyone else in our squad would have finished that shot uh, as clinically and as well as, as Lee Griffiths did. And then in the second half, we go to sleep at two set pieces and all of a sudden we're, we're drifting away from the playoffs again. How do you look back on, on that campaign and the, the Slovenia game in particular? Yeah, I think that campaign was such a positive one. There was something about Strachan and the, the group that he'd sort of brought together, players like Anya, really positive players that just they just really seemed to gel. We just had that sort of magic mixture that you don't always get. Um, the games that you mentioned, the Slovakia one at Hampton was just incredible. And you know, they were such a good team, but, you know, we, we, well, we deserved to win that one. And going into the Slovenia game, going 1-0 up, I think we were 1-0 up at half time, And you just thought, this is actually going to be it. You know, mm-hmm. you know, we just have to sit in now. Obviously, <laughs> they ended up scoring twice. Um, but even then, there was still a part of me when we got the equaliser that thought, well, we could actually still nick this. You know, the, like you've said, with the late goals, it seemed like anything was possible in this one. And it almost felt for once that our name was actually written on it, that we were actually going to do it. And I'm sure that Darren Fletcher had a really good chance as well with sort of yeah. like two or three minutes to go that you thought, if anyone deserved to score a winner in <laughs> such a big game, what a magic moment that would have been for Fletch. Um but yeah, it was just total. That was total devastation after that one because I really, really, for the first time, thought that this was going to be it. I, I sort of let myself believe that this. Was time. Um, but we just have to hope, obviously, that this isn't the uh, the same story come the end of this week. Did you feel more positive, Gordon, going into the more recent games against Poland at Hamden, which was two two, and then the Slovenia game away, which was two two? Did you feel more positive? and encouraged going into them than you do for, for this Israel one? Or do you feel that the squad's in a better place now? Um, that's a really interesting question. Um, I First of all, I think I think the squad is in a very good place right now. I think we have a very good manager. I think his credentials, his experiences at club level very much mirror the situations that Scotland will find themselves in. I've, I've often said in the past, you know, if you've been Celtic or Rangers manager, you're used to getting 60-70% possession in the game and having better players than your opposition. That's not the Scotland job. Being Kilmarnock manager, being West Brom manager, that is much more applicable to being Scotland manager. But yeah, you, you referenced the, that, that Poland game. I mean, I think for me, that year 2016 qualifying campaign was, again, it was an incredible journey for us. I actually went to, I'd started going to away games for that campaign. I went to nine out of the 10 games in that group. The only game I missed was the one in Georgia. So had we qualified, my points would have been put me front of the queue for games at major finals, which was just would have been beyond a perfect situation. I think for me, the confidence for that game came from our situation was we had to better Ireland's result and we would get a playoff place. And Ireland had Germany at, at the Aviva. So I thought, well, obviously, Germany will do us a favour. They'll win, and all we need to do then is get a draw. But then the atmosphere on that night was incredible. Again, Hamden sold out. We take the lead against... Uh, no, actually, I'm sorry. Um, again, we, we concede early mm-hmm. against uh, Poland, Lewandowski. But then Matt Ritchie scores one of the best goals I've ever seen Scotland score, just on the bro- on the stroke of half time. And you're thinking, we're going to do this. We're absolutely going to do this. But then I remember about two rows behind me, someone with their phone had saw, had seen that 
was it Shane Long had scored yeah. an opening goal for yeah. Ireland against Germany and you're like you are kidding me and it was one of the most surreal experiences of my life because that news just spread around the stadium like a virus if you pardon the pun I guess for today and the atmosphere just disappeared because everyone thought well so long as Ireland are winning we can't get the playoff we were two. We were two one up at that point as well because yeah. when when Fletcher scored a great great goal when Fletcher yeah. scored, yeah. That, I remember at that stage I thought it's done. Yeah. We were there's no way surely that even we can blow this from here. Yeah. And the two things that we needed to go our way didn't. We didn't hold on, <laughs> and Ireland somehow beat Germany yeah. and ended unbeaten against them in the group four points. And of Do course Poland in- Poland beating them earlier in the group also went against us. Yeah, and and you know, do, do you know what made that that even worse was that I then flew out the next day. Our final game was Gibraltar away from home in Faro. We'd earmarked it months previously as being a potential qualification party or a playoff party, and obviously it wasn't. And my connecting flight went through Dublin, where I spent a couple hours in Dublin's airport being apologised to by German fans by saying, we're really sorry we didn't beat Ireland last night. Uh, just the last place on earth I wanted to be that day. Um. Uh, not, not an ideal situation. Um, right, I think uh, we'll call it there before we take uh, too many nightmarish trips down memory lane and we convince ourselves that this is how it's going to play out on uh, on Thursday. I suppose we could we could finally touch on the the playoff against Holland, um, even just the game at Hamden. I was ten when that game was played. Ben and Gordon, you'll have been similar, maybe a year a year older than me, I think. So still very young boys. How do you remember that? Do you remember that? I honestly don't remember. I remember. I've obviously watched all the footage from it. Um, watched the the brilliant goal, and I would have loved to have been at Hamden that day. That must have been an absolutely brilliant um, occasion to win that one um, but like I said earlier we, we don't at least we don't have a Holland in the, in the our remaining two games to get to it to get to these finals you know yes Norway and Serbia would be very difficult and Israel are very difficult but it's not the level of competition we've had previously so I'm just really hanging on to that the hope that we might actually be able to scramble through these two what about you, Gordon? Can you recall anything from the 2003 playoff? Yeah, no, I, I absolutely can, yeah. Um, I remember watching the first leg through a pub window because obviously I was very, very, very much too young to be inside <laughs> the pub. So watch the game, the home game from there. And absolutely fantastic. And again, you're just thinking, well, we're going to do it. We've got a lead. We're going to do it. Go over there, get a result. And then... Um, it didn't go that way. I remember the second leg was on uh, was on broadcast live on Channel Five, um, and incredibly looking back at it now, you you look at just the quality of players that, that the Dutch had was absolutely incredible. They they turned to a little known nineteen year old in central mid who went by the name of Wesley Schneider. Don't think he amounted <laughs> to anything, but he scored one and got three assists. So. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I, I can remember watching that game as well. Actually, we um, I went over to my pal Rory, Rory, Rory McKenzie of Kilmarnock fame. Um, we played for the same boys club, and I remember my dad and I going over to watch the game with him and his dad uh, after our game. Uh, and just the, the scenes, that were, we were on the sofas, just leaping around the living room when that went in. Uh, and I can yeah just remember sitting... On a floor, I, don't, I couldn't even tell you whose house I was in for the away leg, but I just remember sitting on a floor in front of the TV. There was 
it, maybe it was like some sort of family party or something. I'm not sure, but I remember just feeling deflated um, as the goal, the goals went in, goal after goal after goal, because I had allowed myself at the young age to to dream uh, and believe that you know this is going to happen, uh, much like you thought after Fadi put his head against against them at Hamden. Yeah. Yeah. Well, at least I got you set for a long, long time. It is funny though. That what, one of my memories of that game was because the game was on Channel Five. They had, um, I think it was Jonathan Pierce doing commentary. Who Ugh. at that age, I I connected more to his commentary for Robot Wars than <laughs> anything else. So it did just feel more appropriate that you know we were getting destroyed by a. A, a vicious machine on the night. <laughs> Sir Kilowatt in place of Rude Van Nistelrooy. <laughs> well, uh, okay. Well, uh, we'll hopefully have another pod to to do after the Nations League games. We, I think we can do it anyway, but hopefully it's not a, a post-mortem of a defeat to Israel and it's more of a looking forward to a final against Norway or Serbia. Are we, are we thinking that we'd rather play Serbia than Norway at the moment if we do beat Israel? Yes, I think we don't really want the defence to go up against Haaland. Is, that, is, that, is it mainly because of Erling Haaland that we're we're thinking Serbia? Yeah, I'd say so. Yeah, pretty much. You, and, you and, don't really want to face one of the best goal scorers in the in the world at the moment. Yeah. <laughs> uh, not with our defence. <laughs> I, th- I think I, I think actually one one thing that does play in our favour was that bear in mind back in March in just an incredible piece of um, UEFA nomics the. Remember, they, they decided that the, the semi-final and the final were going to be separated by four days. So for fans potentially travelling to the games, they wouldn't have known which country they had to go to <laughs> until the full-time whistle on Thursday night, which is just insane. So I, I think actually the fact that the final isn't until November, I think that's a, that could be a benefit to us. Um, and also bear in mind that one of the things that put us off a trip to Serbia was potentially this white hot atmosphere. Well, very good chance there'd be no fans if we yeah. went there now. So... You know, yeah, hundred percent. Just, just well, you mentioned that actually, Gordon. Before we finish, I'm delaying and delaying this. Um, <laughs> ben, I know you're you're meant to be going back to work in five minutes, so I'll try and make it quick. But you just know UEFA, right. <laughs> UEFA are have allowed thirty percent of uh, a stadium to be filled by supporters um, for for these games coming up. We obviously can't do that because it depends on local law yeah. and local guidance. We are still not allowed to have supporters. In this, in the grounds, we've had successful test events, albeit it wasn't 30% capacity. But there, there was a test event at the start of last month up in Dingwall and at Petodre uh, for the, the Aberdeen Kilmarnock game. And we've seen in the Bundesliga that uh, Dortmund had 11 and a half, 12,000 fans in their stadium in the last couple of weeks. They're they're not alone in that. Can can you understand why, at all, that for a game such as this, that the government and the SFA and, the, and whoever's in charge of it haven't put their heads together and thought that this is the best way forward to have about 15,000 supporters in Hamden. Gordon? I, I, I'm so conflicted about this. I mean, look, I, I completely understand the reasons why fans can't, in, can't get into games right now. And part of me also thinks that when no fans can go is potentially almost the fairest way because if you're saying that there's 15,000 could go, well, they sold 52,000 tickets for this game. It was a, a sellout game. So therefore, suddenly you're just, you're creating haves and have-nots. And how do you then decide? You can see some people getting very upset that, well, my mate can go, but I can't. So I don't know. 
It would have to be done on a. It would have to be tickets. Everybody would have to be refunded their original purchase, and then they would approach supporters, I imagine, on a points basis, um, Mm -hmm. saying that you you are one of the fifteen thousand that's that's first in line here. Um, So yeah, I think that would probably be the fairest way they would have to do it, Ben. Yeah, I do. I I don't really believe the comparison with Germany though, because Germany have responded to the virus so much better. If you look at the figures at the moment. Um, in the UK and in Scotland, the numbers are just going up and up in terms of cases. So I just I don't believe that it is the right thing at the moment to have thousands of fans go into a stadium, even if they are socially distanced, because the way that they enter the turnstiles, the way that they share the toilets, there's just no way in my mind of doing that 100% safely. Um, so for me, I just think it's a little bit too soon. If it had stayed at the levels of the cases as it was a few weeks ago, then absolutely. But if you look at the last few weeks, the cases are just spiking more and more. So as much as I would love to be in Hamden for this one, I just think at the moment it's probably not the right thing to do. Yeah, I think I think as well, just 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 to say something um, positive and complimentary of the Scottish FA, I, I was I was impressed the way that as soon as they announced that there'll be no fans at the game, they said we're processing refunds automatically. There's no hoops to jump through. There's no forms to fill out. And money was back in people's yeah. accounts within a couple of days. So hats off them for that. Yeah, that was a very easy process, wasn't it? Yeah. It was great of them. Yeah. Okay, right. Well, hopefully we get this over the line on Thursday and have a final to look forward to. And we can approach the Slovakia and Czech Republic Nations League games with a bit more optimism and you know, a bit more of a an easygoing attitude rather than feeling all <laughs> depressed and sad that we've been knocked out at the semi-final stage. So... Yeah. yeah, let's convene next week, lads, uh, and we'll talk about how things have gone over over this uh, international break. Right. Cheers, guys. Cheers. Sports Social Podcast Network. Get ahead of postage rate increases this year with Stamps.com. It's like your own personal post office. Sign up with promo code PROGRAM for a four-week trial plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com code PROGRAM.